My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. It's about setting up the foundation and, you know, I'd like to think by the time he's 30, he'll have four or five properties in his name and, you know, a new car and there'll be very little debt on those properties. So that will be a good foundation for him. um, And that's a driver for me. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we continue our discussion with Jim Valerie, a hard-working family man who rose through the ranks in coal mining and trade unions to turn around and become a successful developer. Tune in to discover how he went from seemingly unemployable to having sold over $30 million in property. Valerie demonstrates his honorability through not only his work but also his relationships with his family members. It is a combination of these things that keep him motivated. The aha moment for me, I guess, is that uh, I've got a mother who uh, hasn't been well and she's uh, doing chemotherapy at the moment. She lives in Bundaberg but I've been able to move her down to Brisbane and allow her to reside with us or with me and my son. and I've got the ability and the time now to be able to provide assistance and care in running her to the hospital and, and assisting her to be moving through that that phase purely because of the team. So I guess the, the aha moment for me is the realisation that we've got the team there now that enables me to have outside areas if something important comes up that I've got the comfort that we have got the team there to be able to communicate continue what we need to do as a business um, but if if there's something comes up in a personal nature there's also the ability to attend to those matters as well it's having that team it's having the you know that like you said the, the systems the right selection process on sites making sure that we're doing things well to to keep moving forward and, and having those resources to make sure that we can because there's always a time where something comes up in our life and you know if we've made the right structures around ourselves we can deal with those things without losing any momentum or pace or or risk to anyone also on another positive track he shares his other aha moment the aha moment was through doing the education and, and you know it's important to continually improve yourself no matter where you are and what you're doing in personal development you know we are our own best 
Valerie explains how he became interested in units, townhouses, and developments, and shares whether he plays a part in any of the interior design. Whether it comes from the the time that we're given Lego blocks as little kids, and um, we always seem to like to build something. It seems to be more fun. You can you can do a landscape division, and you can look back, and it's not as though you sit there and feel as though you've created anything. It's dirt on the ground and or grass on the ground. So. That was there before you got there. So all you're doing is shifting the boundaries around. It, there's no real look at that. I can come back in in three years' time and yeah, look, we constructed that. So I, I think inside <clears throat> most people, especially you know boys and men, is there's always that desire to be building something and, and going, okay, yep, that was you know I love the colour I picked there or I love something I picked there. I mean, I I don't have those aspects and. I avoid renovation because I've got no ability to look at colours, but I've got the team members to do that. Um, but but the realisation and looking back and going that you've built something and you've created something is, is certainly, at some point, it's always of interest to us. I guess it's a realisation for me now that to do those style developments, I am very reliant upon the builder as well. <laughs> you know, I can do everything right myself, and if the builder doesn't, play their role or if they make mistakes or they don't build things to the right quality, that has the ability to affect the overall project. And if it's my project, it's my name, it's our company name. So I guess it's more, that's the viewpoint in moving more to the land subdivisions. It's, it's something we can control. It's totally within our control, it's in our <laughs> skill set. We're not relying upon others to provide such a significant component of the deal. Um, you know, and I have had builders go into administration and things like that, and it becomes uh, quite quite hard. So you know, just from our point of view, it's about the realisation that we're comfortable with our skill set and the skill set of our team. We don't want to be introducing further risk into a deal, especially a deal where there will be investors involved. <coughs> yes, we will do some construction elements and they'll generally be along the lines if we're looking to hold stock we'll certainly do a build on that stock for us to hold and to create passive income but we'll probably restrict those areas to ones that we're looking at holding rather than what we're looking at doing with you know utilizing a syndication or investors new style developments has evolved over time from units to townhouses to subdivisions we discussed with Valerie how subdivisions offer a lot more control and how the marketing process is different than that of units and townhouses in that with land, there isn't something already physically built. Land's not very sexy. That's why you know you do something with getting someone with the right design on there because then you can leverage off the beautiful looking house and you know, you're selling land but you're talking more about the house. Um, purely is because land, it, it doesn't excite people. You know, yes, people want to live in a certain area, they want, you know, that access, but to physically put a picture up with a block of grass isn't that exciting where if it's a beautifully designed home, it certainly creates more of an emotional attachment. So um, you're very much right in that uh, there's a specific way. And it's, I think it's important where a lot of people who are trying to sell land and house and land think all they need to do is put it on realestate.com and it'll sell and that's certainly not the case. Um, it is a specific skill set and a lot of local agents 
don't have that skill set, um, you've got to make sure that you do pick the right people, I believe, and you've got the right backup internally to be driving those people, which is uh, what we have through, through our team. He shares whether he prefers any specific type of land subdivision and elaborates on how he goes about finding them. We certainly have moved you know, more away and, and everyone starts doing the one and the twos and one and the three lot subdivisions. We've moved away from that now. We're, we're certainly looking for preferably five or six lots or more um, up to your 30 or 40. You know, we, we have got um, two seven lot subdivisions, an 11 lot subdivision and a 30 lot or 33 lot subdivision. So they're, they're certainly the areas we want to play in. And especially in Queensland, you know, if people are doing subdivisions, there is a need to understand that the way that you do a five lots or less is different the way that you do seven to ten lots and that's different the way that you do 11 to 30 lots. So um, if you're doing five or less lots, you don't need to have disclosure plans, you don't need to have a development approval, you can be selling from the word go. Um, so that gives you, if the development takes you nine months, that gives you nine months to sell, let's say it's a four lot subdivision, you've got nine months to sell four blocks of land. Where if you're doing a seven lot subdivision, you've got to get the DA approval first and have the disclosure documents before you can start selling. Um, and that project, whilst it might take you 12 months, you've only got six months to sell them because you've lost that first part during the development approval stage. So you've got more lots to sell in a shorter time frame. So it is important to have those sales systems in place once you're starting to jump, you know, into disclosure area. With these lot sizes ranging in size from as small as 3 or 4 to as large as 30, Valerie has a lot on his plate. He shares if all of these are located in the Brisbane area. We try and focus on Brisbane City Council as a whole. Um, you know, and obviously people will talk about Brisbane being Brisbane the wider group which might include other councils like Logan or, or Moreton Bay but we try and work within Brisbane. We're very lucky in, in Queensland that you know, Brisbane is such a large council area, so it's got the one set of planning legislation. Um, I'm very comfortable with that planning legislation and I, I believe that I know it quite well. Other councils, you've got to learn how to drive their online systems. You've got to know the subtleties or differences in their planning legislation. I prefer to focus on Brisbane. It's a very large council. There's plenty of opportunities in Brisbane. So, you know, that's certainly the area that, that we focus on because of that. I feel sorry for, excuse me, people in Melbourne and Sydney where you've got such small council areas and, you know, you can you can walk, you know, for a kilometre and the, the rules change on what you've got to do in a, in a development. So it's, it's you know, been a lot harder there where, you know, we are blessed in, in having, you know, such a, you know, Brisbane, um, it may not be the biggest city, but I think it's the biggest council um, in southeast in southern hemisphere, I think, um, or or at least um, you know our region. Um, so that does give us the ability to learn the legislation. Now, well, um, you know we've got a, a large area to go from, so that that provides a foundation for our prospecting. And you know, people forget that property is a people game, so. 
I, I do most of my networking and, and relationship building with agents. So strangely, I don't go and door knock. I don't go and send letters out like most people or most developers do. Um, but I work very strongly with my relationships. And, um, you know, if you can maintain that, that probably comes from the skill set you learn. And being in the, in the bush, in the regional areas, is you've got to learn and you've got to be comfortable talking with people and interacting with people. So having that comfortability and learning those skills through my previous time, you know, makes that my strong point in dealing with people, um, talking to agents, uh, having those relationships and and doing the right thing by people. And, you know, that, that leads us, uh, along with the time of having the game, but it certainly leads us to be lucky where we get a lot of opportunities. And I guess I say lucky, but the, the more you work, the luckier you get. So, you know, it's an easy to say it's luck where, you know, really it's probably an acknowledgement that the team's working very well. Um, but, yeah, we, we do get a lot of opportunities presented to us that uh, certainly keep us going. Valerie's good relationships with real estate agents has been key in finding and purchasing development sites. He delves into how he goes about this process. I'll certainly um, talk to them quite detailed about specifics and, um, you know, if someone's comfortable with the legislation and that, so we'll, we'll look at a suburb, we'll download all the right size properties, we'll do an assessment quickly, get rid of ones that haven't got the right frontage or they've got flooding or they've got other restraints, which means they can't do it. Um, a lot of people then will go and door knock themselves or go and go and send letters out. So everyone knows how, you know, regardless of how people do it, once once they know how to do a suburb analyst to, to shortlist the suburb to work out which ones are the right properties to target, um, a lot of people will then try and target themselves. We've only got so much time. So my belief is that if I can have strong relationships with agents, I'm happy to give them my list and I'm happy to pay, pay them as a buyer's agent. I'm happy for them to be a listing agent, however they want to work it. They deal with interactions with, with, with homeowners all the time. The homeowners straight away have a arguably a higher level to, you know, a real estate agent is probably slightly higher than a developer in the the, the people's views on ethics. Um, you know, whilst I would say that, you know, there are developers and I'd like to think we are one that do have strong ethics, but everyone thinks that there's, you know, all these greedy, greedy developers um, or this and that. So an homeowner who gets approached by a real estate agent is probably <clears throat> happy to, you know, they're, they're the industry expert from what people think. So we we have that conversation starting with an agent rather than ourselves because, yes, we do want to then get brought into the meeting and have the conversation more personalised, but um, we've only got so much time in the day. So if I can be working with agents who do that all the day, every day, and they prospect, um, I'm happy for them to prospect for me. Coming up after the break, we hear more about the benefits of good relationships, this time with buyers. Once an agent is comfortable that you're you're treating them as a serious person as well, and you know you start doing the doing the little things right with them, you start to feel you, you, you do feel a form of bond. Um, 
people like people. Valerie's views on the importance of continuing education. You know, we don't know everything. We always can learn and we, we should always want to learn. And if we have that mindset where we continually want to learn, we'll always be doing better and improving ourselves rather than, you know, resting our laurels thinking we know everything because the world changes, property market changes, the, the ways to do things changes. So He struggles with finding employment and how it led him to where he is now. It was a realisation when I I put my name down for a job, as a fill-in job, uh, at the airport car parking and I was told that the, there was a high level of applications and sorry I didn't make the cut this time. Um, that was a realisation that if I couldn't even get a job parking cars, given what I've done previously, that, that it was time that I, I certainly had to make sure that I, I created my own path. And that's next. I'm Taran Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, property investor, is your cash or equity currently earning you 1% to 2% per annum sitting in the bank? What if I said to you that you can do better? To find out more, simply register your interest to become a money partner at propertyinvestory.com. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest to get a higher return with low risk on their money for 6 months. Register your interest by visiting propertyinvestory.com. As I and I'm sure some of our listeners have experienced, finding development sites can be a frustrating process. Valerie gives insight into how he creates relationships with the real estate agents he works with in order to secure these developments. I think it comes down to that that can be a time thing sometimes. I'm, I'm sure there's been people who at some stage have, you know, for the guys at some stage may well have had a young lady who caught their eye and they've had to do a lot of work before that young lady had any intention of wanting to, you know, get to know them. So, you know, it's again, we're people. You've got to put in the time, you've got to put in the effort. So you've got to show the agent, you know, yes, initially you might spend a lot of time um, going and having catch-ups with them. If they give me something, I'm going to put an offer in regardless. My offer might be way too low, but I want them to know that I'm prepared to pull the trigger. Um, I'm prepared to put an offer in. And they've, I need to give them the respect that they've taken the time to contact me. So I need to take the time to actually review it and give them an offer back or feedback back on what, where I think the price is. A lot of times my price is going to be vastly different to where they want, but at least I'm showing them the respect. And once an agent is comfortable that you're, you're treating them as a serious person as well, and you know you start doing the doing the little things right with them. You start to feel, you, you do feel a form of bond. Um, people like people. So, you know, if if someone feels as though you're doing the right thing to them all the time, you know, it, it forms a loose, you know, I wouldn't call it a friendship, but it, it calls, it, it forms a, you know, an ability to interact on a, on a much deeper level or, or, or a much more friendly level. So, how does Valerie do his due diligence and make commitments to his sites? It comes down to the site, obviously. So, um, the more constraints the site shows when you're, you're doing the research. So, you know, we've got some that you'd happily go unconditional on right away. 
uh, because you know what the legislation says. Um, you build up your network. I can talk to my town planner straight away. I can talk to my civil engineer straight away. Um, as you get into a bigger site, it's going to take a little bit more time. And I think people understand on bigger sites it's going to take a little, little bit more time. But but realistically, realistically, as a developer, um, we're going to want to say that this is such a complicated site, we need so much more time because we want things to be in our favour, in having the right to buy them, but, but not needing to buy them. You know, we don't have to buy them because we're still under due diligence, so we wanted a safety way. If push comes to shove, there's very few sites that you couldn't be unconditional on within 30 or 60 days, um, unless it's a major, you know, massive, big, big site. But um, if, if we look at our, our 30 lot, 32 lotter in 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 Tagum, you know we're probably talking about 60 days due diligence you know we have done some due diligence beforehand but we're also talking to the right consultants in that time to make sure that we're very comfortable with large developments differing so greatly to small ones valerie explains how he purchases these large sites outright Tagum is one that we've done it it's it's two sites by the same owner one site we are settling on, the second site we have got an option on for 12 months to allow us to get the DA. Um, so that's a negotiation and one that we're able to have. Options can scare a lot of people who, who aren't well versed in property. So um, being able to explain that and, and talk to them through it, and uh, I guess it comes down to how well you can explain it. But there's all, always some people who they want the certainty because they've made a decision they want to sell, they've made a decision that they, they're ready to move on to the next phase of their life and they want to start picking where they're going to live. But they can't realise that dream until such time as they're unconditional. So, um, yes, there's times I think options can work and do work and ideally based, you know, that would be something I would love to do for every deal. But it's not always going to work and... You know, and again, if we if we come back to property being a people game, is that we need to actually think about things from the seller's point of view sometimes, and um, you know, not always try and force them to do what we want to do. If we're happy to work with them, and we'll have a better relationship with the seller as well. Um, so ideally, we'd like it, but we can't always get it. He shares how he gets the funding to approach these type of deals. Perhaps he's a chest of cash lying around. We generally utilise. Um, provide opportunities for investors as well as uh, financing his money as well as you know your own money so it's a, it's a combination there we do have a a a good list of investors who who always you know like to know what opportunities we have coming up and you know i, I for mine and you know I, I see it as an opportunity so it's not a lot of people will sit there and go okay I feel bad about going and asking someone to put money into something, but it's an opportunity. I'm presenting someone with an opportunity and they can take it or not take it. Um, so we, we do have a, a list and we put it out to our list uh, once we have something coming up. Um, but you also need to continually expand that list as people change their mindsets and change where they're going and um, 
or invested on something else. So someone who is wanting to invest in property isn't just going to talk to me because my deal may not suit them or my deal may not be ready for them at the right time they're ready. Uh, they don't want their money sitting there waiting for me. So if I haven't got an opportunity for them at that time, they'll be looking at who else has got an opportunity. So, you know, we, we have to work on the idea that we're always going to be continually reviewing <coughs> and looking and providing opportunity for other people because whilst we have got some people there, um, we can never be sure when we start negotiating that they're the right people. In saying that, I'm always confident that we're going to be able to settle on a deal. If I'm not confident, I'm not going to put it on the contract. So, um, you know, there is, you know, certainly opportunities out there. And, um, you know, we, I'd like to think that we're providing a reasonable opportunity and our general number is around 15% per annum or we've, we've also introduced a... Um, during COVID, we were forced to rethink and change the way we look at things. And so we've introduced the, the cash flow option where someone can take their interest paid monthly to compensate them and to increase their own cash flow. So that's generally about 1% per month and they can continually get their cash flow increased by their interest payments every month. So it comes down to what suits the investor as well. So it can't always be about what we want. It's about going, okay, how can we work together? Because it's a long-term game, and if we, if we can be working together in the long term, uh, we want to make sure that we do consider what their needs are as well. Motivations and mindset are key when it comes to business. Valerie shares what drives him and keeps him going. My why is in, in having something set up that, you know, it's a generational thing. I've got my son who works with me as well. Um, at some point, uh, I'd love to be sitting there and sipping beers at the pool and watching him do the work. So, um, you know, not not really, because I think I'd, I'd still be bored and I'd still want to do things. And But I mean, it's, it's about making sure that you can set things up or have a fashion that, you know, not, not only your son, but also the future generations can benefit from them. And it's not about getting a hand yet. So, you know, the young fella works in there and you know, he'll get some of the rewards as well. But it's about setting up the foundation and, you know, I'd like to think by the time he's 30, he'll have four or five properties in his name and, you know, a new car and there'll be very little debt on those properties. So that will be a good foundation for him um, and that's a driver for me. We explore his mentors and give details on what the key pivotal points have been along his journey. I do education. I've been doing education through Young Ewan at Advanced Property Strategies. Um which has been great. Um, and, you know, there's also, I, I guess, like-minded being Matt Jones, who, who runs the Brisbane Property Networking Group and more more so, you know, does also joint venture boot camps where it's about getting in there and, and, and delving in. And, and um, you know, Jill, who we both know, works with both groups as well. So it's about uh, understanding, you know, that mindset as well. But I guess I initially went into and, and doing the advanced property and doing the course with Young. Um, and and his, his comment is always that it's 70% psychological in development and, you know, maybe 20% skill and 10% time or 10% skill, 20% time. But 
I always had a disbelief, and it might have been my viewpoint of what psychology is, was different to what Young is putting out there. And, you know, I, I was picturing getting up in the morning and saying 10 times I'm going to be successful or, or doing doing those things there which don't really resonate with me at all. So there, there's certain areas that I, I probably don't resonate, but I, I guess in a realisation of psychology and the, the 70% it's about being able to push you, it's being able to have that why reason to keep going, it's being able to take the step. Um, there's a lot of people out there who are highly educated but don't have the mindset to be able to take that step and expose themselves to something because they won't trust themselves. So it's certainly that 70% psychological, which is uh, really, really coming to me quite a bit now. And I, I probably understand it a lot more than I did at the time, but I'd say they would be the primaries in, in you know, from a mentoring or education. I'm, I'm in Young's Diamond Group, which is uh, the high-level group for, for himself as well. So um, that's something that I'm continually doing. And whilst I have, you know, done a significant depth of projects, um, it's a time that we think we know everything that we start going backwards. So... You know, we don't know everything. We always can learn and we, we should always want to learn. And if we have that mindset where we continually want to learn, we'll always be doing better and improving ourselves rather than, you know, resting our laurels thinking we know everything because the world changes, property market changes, the, the ways to do things changes. So we do need to continually to involve. So it's about making sure that we can continually having that personal development. Valerie shares how continual education is a key point in this industry as it is in any other and how he adapts to changing technology. And realise that, you know, things we learn change and there's a new app or there's a new way to do things or there's a new legislation that comes in place so we've got to adapt and change that as well. Now, we don't have to do things exactly the same as someone else but, you know, if we can embrace that mindset and that... that um, the idea that you can do it, you know, do it your way. You know, take take the learnings from other people, but but adapt it to your way because we've all got our own personality traits. You know, mine being that I, I prefer interacting with agents. Other people are really successful in doing the letter approach. So adapt, adapt it to your personality. Valerie explains what he would have done differently 10 years ago if he knew then what he knows now. 10 years ago, it would have been, you know, the, the importance of continual education, but but also the importance of getting the right advice to allow holding stock at an earlier time frame. So I would have liked to have been holding stock um, a while ago as well. Um, and, you know, for whatever reasons, it was... It was something that I didn't see as an important factor. Uh, it's certainly something I would like to have been able to go back and tell myself 10 years ago that, you know, there's a need to be holding stock as well. But um, they put a bit of the two foundations is continuing the education and continuing to improve yourself and make sure that you, you know, the property is worth more than the cash sometimes. I'm excited about the business market as a whole. I, I, I really do believe that we've got a good four four years at least um, coming up. There's been significant cash 
you know, coming in from COVID. Uh, we had an underlying demand in the market prior to COVID. Uh, there's been changing in the funding legislation, which means that there's about to be an abundance of private money coming in as well. So I think there's a pent-up demand and there's a demand there. So for me, the, the market, um, we've got some great projects in the books, so that's an exciting to be having good projects moving into what I believe will be a great market um, and to continue to to move move forward that way and, and actually hold some as well. I think the hard work leads into the luck. So um, a hard worker will find themselves in many lucky positions. So um, as I said earlier, for me, it was the fact that I didn't have that fallback option. You know, I come out of, you know, being a Queensland Secretary of a Trade Union, uh, which made me pretty much unemployable from the eyes of the generalised public. Um, there was a realisation when I I put my name down for a job, as a fill-in job, uh, at the airport car parking, and I was told that the, there was a high level of application. I'm sorry I didn't make the cut this time. Um, that was a realisation that if I couldn't even get a job parking cars, given what I've done previously, that, that it was time that I, I certainly had to make sure that I I created my own path. So, you know, there was an enormous amount of hard work in there, which certainly made uh, an ability to get luckier now. But that luck's coming from three years of hard work. You know, the skill set wasn't there. You know, no one's born knowing how to to do what we're doing. No one's, you know, it's not something that we, we learn subdivision or we learn these skills in, in school. We don't learn these skills um, from our parents. Um, the, the financial wisdom doesn't come um, from growing up. You know, there's, there's probably some um, households that does. And I mean, there's, there's certainly some, you know, if I look, look at stereotypical, I, I guess it's um, certainly uh, Chinese households are far better at providing that financial blueprint into their children more so than a lot of Europeans. It's it's, it's not so much sought after. Of, and that's not purely restricted to to you know, stereotypical in the Chinese. There's, you know, Jewish are renowned for being good at, at finance as well. So uh, there's certainly some people who do get that blueprint, but but generally speaking, most people don't. So, you know, we, we don't have that, we, we don't have those skills, those, those learnings, that knowledge. They're things that we have to acquire and they only acquire through hard work. And yes, there'll be times that we do acquire those skills and, we benefit from them, and I, I certainly think that we're benefiting now from uh, hard work and the skills that we've been able to acquire. Um, and uh, yes, you can sit there and say, I was talking to a few consultants um, before a uh, probably meetup, and they were saying that well, we've we seem to have a lot of projects in the books where there's a lot of people struggling. Um, so there'll be some people who sit there and go, that's probably down to luck, but. Again, I'd like to think that that luck's come from hard work in establishing the right networks. So it's no, it's not lucky that a certain person will tell me about a site because I've done the time to build up the relationship. So, you know, I think luck is very, very, very unlikely to have an impact into things that we do if we do them well.
Thank you to Jim Valerie, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. And if you love the show and are ready to get serious about investing your money to get a low risk, high return, then SMS me your name and email address on 0499881040 to become a money partner. Right now, there are great opportunities in the property market and I'm looking for money partners who want to invest their money for a short 6 months. To register interest, text me your name and email address on 0499881040. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 